0: The little lamb to the shepherd boy. Do you hear what I. I really am a mean and despicable creature at heart, you know. You may wish to adjust the dial. You are currently tuned into the wrong station. This would be the year, there was no doubt in his mind, this would be the year that he would meet Santa. Tommy's first attempt two years ago had been an utter failure, but a learning experience at least. He learned that his parents would be of no help to him in his quest. On the contrary, they'd be a hindrance. That night he'd stayed up with them for as long as they had allowed, which wasn't very late at all and then he was sent to bed with not so much as a hello or a ho-ho-ho. The year after that, his plan had been sound, but the execution had been lacking. He'd waited until his parents had gone to bed, waited just a bit longer after that, and then snuck halfway down the stairs to survey the Christmas tree while hidden behind the banister. But he discovered that time that nature, too, would try to stop him. After an hour or so of waiting on the stairs... His eyes began to droop, and they gently drifted to sleep right there, where his parents found him the next morning when they made their way downstairs, jostling him awake to point out the gifts under the tree that had not been there the night before. But now he was five. He had a year's more guile and world-weariness under his belt. He'd stockpiled a small hoard of sugary treats in his room, so there'd be no falling asleep this time. That Christmas Eve, he once again crept down those stairs with sure and silent foot and waited for his destiny. And destiny didn't take too long. It was just past midnight, right as Tommy was just beginning to fade and wane, when he heard it. The sky above the main floor's spacious foyer, its hydraulics hissing and the quick rush of winter air into the house as the port opened. Now, this might seem strange to those of you who are a bit older, or simply old-fashioned, but I'll remind you that for a boy of Tommy's age, this was quite within his understanding of how things should be. Fireplaces nowadays, of course, being merely decorative reliquaries of antique notion, and popular media of the last several decades asserting and cementing the notion that Santa Claus enters the home by way of the most convenient skyport. You really should get on with the times. But... In any case, Tommy jolted awake. His heart started pounding. There was something. Someone up there. He saw the faint glow of a bright red light. Could it really be? And as shadows passed over the entry to the port, and a vague shape started lowering itself down, Tommy's excitement kept building and building until it was likely to make his chest burst until... Crashing disappointment... "'For it was not a jolly, pleasantly rotund man in red and white "'who floated down into his home from that ceiling vantage, "'but something quite different, "'something with a round shell "'and with an angular undercarriage and set of forelimbs, "'something that gave off the most subtle sounds "'of whirring contraption and gentle propulsion, "'something that glinted silver-chrome in the moonlight.' and was illuminated from its front by an unsettling, artificial red light that shone from a single, large, glassy eye. Well, that's not Santa, Tommy thought to himself. He watched on with a silent pout as the machine thing carried out its work. First, the light from its red eye focused into a single point, and then into a vertical line that began to sweep the room. Once this light had passed by the Christmas tree so prominently displayed in the foyer, and then passed by it again for good measure, Tommy heard the smallest little beep, and then another hydraulic hiss as a compartment on the thing's side opened up. It reached back with one of its arms into this small compartment and produced something unmistakable to Tommy. A wrapped gift box topped with a perfectly tied bow. With uncanny precision, the machine's triple-jointed arm reached forward and gingerly placed this gift under the tree. Now Tommy understood. He was disappointed, but he understood. Tommy had always wondered how Santa could do it, deliver all those gifts in one night. There'd always been that deep, yearning hope that it was thanks to magic. But Tommy was a realist. He'd always suspected that the big man might need some help getting the job done, And this was the help it seemed so that was it there would be no fateful encounter with that most famous of saints no wink and coy finger pressed to the lips and promise to keep the secret no chance to pet the reindeer unless tommy had an idea no that hardly conveys it he was struck with an idea As back downstairs, the machine extended a mechanical proboscis to suck up the glassful of milk that had been placed out, and shoved shortbread cookies into another hidden cavity. Tommy darted down the stairs as quietly as he could. There was no way that his parents would allow what he was planning. He snatched his coat off a hook near the front door, and then pitter-pattered back to the foyer. He was now standing before the machine's cold, robotic visage, undaunted. It was bigger than it had looked from the top of the stairs perhaps a meter tall, wide, and long. Just big enough, it looked like, for what he intended. The machine, reflecting the boy's unflinching stare from its deep, red eye, signified nothing as it scanned him with that same wave of light from before. No beep. No anything. It paid him no mind at all as it began to quietly float back up to the ceiling, the night sky above it. And seeing that the machine didn't care about him one way or the other, or at the least that it wouldn't try and stop him, Tommy jumped up to grab it before it was too far off the ground. The machine did not stop when he did, and from there Tommy managed to climb into a snug little corner of its undercarriage. And after no time at all, Tommy was looking down at the closing skyport of his home, a home that was becoming smaller and smaller until it was gone. And the envirodrome of his neighborhood shrank into the distance as well. Success. This would be the year that he would meet Santa, and if he wasn't going to come to Tommy, then Tommy would go to him. He wasn't quite sure for how long they were flying. How long could it possibly take to get to the North Pole? An hour? Two? It had always seemed so close on the holographic globe that hovered over Tommy's bedroom desk. As the high-altitude winds pierced even the thick synth down of his coat, he wished the machine would fly faster, so he could arrive sooner and warm himself by the banks of apple cider rivers, or before the fragrant crackle of a cinnamon log fire. But eventually the horrible, cold flight came to an end, and they arrived at their destination. The North Pole didn't look quite like how Tommy had imagined it. It was a huge gray, sprawling rectangle, a monolithic structure with windows sparingly scattered across its mile-wide and long exterior, huge bay doors that opened out to aerodromes, and a rooftop dotted with power converters and flue gas stacks. A place quite unlike any of the sleek modern buildings they had back home, or the humble, rustic abode he had expected. But there wasn't much time to dwell on it, for he and the machine were now descending at a slightly unsettling speed, specifically toward a smaller entrance at one corner of the building's roof, which hissed and groaned open as they approached. And once they had left the darkness and cold of the night air, and began to slowly descend down into the darkness and cold of this unknown place, Tommy finally felt safe to crawl out of his little nook and hop down to a concrete floor. Good thing, too, as the thing, heedless of Tommy as it had been all evening, flitted off as soon as he did, Off to some unseen place. Maybe to restock on gifts, the boy thought. He stretched his arms out after the uncomfortable ride and tried to warm his hands. It was as icy in here as it had been outside. His eyes were beginning to adjust to the low light now, and he looked around him. He wasn't quite sure what to call this place, but to my eyes and yours, it might seem like some kind of hangar For surrounding Tommy were these large columns made of dark metal that stretched on in even intervals to far-off walls that he couldn't see. And covering each of these columns, top to bottom and all around, like ornaments festooning the trunk of a Christmas tree, were more of those flying, red-eyed machines. Except these ones were asleep, still, silent. It had taken another moment for his ears to pop from the high altitude, but Tommy's hearing had now come back to him as well, and... Well, he heard something. Something deeper into this huge vaulted room, where perhaps the light was a bit brighter. A mix of sounds that, as he walked nearer, resolved itself into the screech of a gas-torch-cutting metal interspersed with the distinct, low mutter of a person grumbling to themselves. Tommy trying to stay hidden and quiet, moved between the metal columns. And now, finally, when the light and sound were very close, he peered around one of them. Something, someone, was sitting at a work desk that was now fully in view. They were wearing a dark, drab set of work clothes and an apron, and a thick welder's mask. White sparks flew and hissed as the figure repaired Some unascertainable damage on what looked like an arm of one of the flying machines. The rest of the inactive unit lay in a pile next to the desk. Is this an elf? Tommy thought. It looked a little big for an elf. In fact, it looked about the size of a person. The big elf finished whatever it was doing and put down both the arm and its welding torch. It only took a moment after that before it noticed Tommy, who wasn't really hidden so much as just leaning out from behind that pillar, and in surprise, it lifted its mask to reveal a soot-and-grime-covered male face. He looked at Tommy for a long moment, keeping his eyebrows furrowed and his lips tight. Finally, he looked away, flipped his mask back down, picked up the arm and torch, and resumed his work. None of my business, he muttered to himself. Work, work, just gonna keep working. None of my business, not this, not fires, not nothing. Above my station, above my station, that is. At this, Tommy wandered away. He'd now noticed a door on the far side of the desk that seemed to lead out from this dark room, and he had lost interest in this strange, dirty elf. Passing through the door, he now stepped out from low darkness into a world of brutal fluorescent light, much in the same way that the outside of the workshop for indeed, this must have been Santa's workshop. Did not look as he'd expected. Neither did the inside. He was standing on a metal catwalk that led straight on to a distance not worth considering, and crissed and crossed into innumerable other parallel and perpendicular paths along the way. Looking down, he saw more catwalks in the level below him, and the level below that, and a few more below that further away than his child's eyes could see. But below could come later. For now, Tommy turned his attention back to the level he was on. Off to his right, a sort of peculiar bubble dipped down from the ceiling, made from flexcrete or plasteel or some other modern material. It was smooth and bare, except for the sets of shuttered windows along its midsection, and a door placed with a bubble connected to this top level of the catwalks. If you were inclined to, you could imagine that if someone stepped past the threshold of this door and out onto the grating, they could gaze down and survey all that happened in this strange, brutalist domain. They could spot the trails of smoke that were just now beginning to reach this top level. Smoke that seemed to rise from dimly glowing fires off in the hazy distance below, and that did not smell like... Cinnamon logs or ginger sweets, but like burning plastic. But in any case, the bubble, Santa's office, maybe. That certainly wouldn't excite Tommy. Guest as he scurried over to it, surprisingly, the front door was already open, just barely ajar, and in his haste to peek through it, Tommy didn't even look up to see the name and title etched into its frosted glass, Mister Harvey, Facility Manager. So, no surprise to you and I that there was no Santa in that office, but only another disappointment for young Tommy. Instead, the room was occupied by another tall elf, this one wearing a plain, well-worn suit and a sheen of sweat, sitting on his desk and nervously fiddling with the trinkets on it as a huge screen opposite the door, so huge it nearly took up the whole section of wall, came to life, and the sharp hard visage of a silver-haired man filled the room with its sharp, hard voice. Good evening, Paul, the man on the screen said. Mr. Darby, I wasn't expecting your call this late and on Christmas Eve. No, I don't expect you were. I understand there's an issue down at the distribution center. Ah, yes. You heard about that, sir. Well, I can assure you that the situation is under control. I certainly hope so. It's Christmas. People will be expecting their deliveries. Especially our friends at Kuiper 34. Of course, Mr. Darby. I promise to you that there's been no impact to our holiday shipments, and that the shuttles for Kuiper will be leaving tonight as well. On schedule. That's good. Because one work call on Christmas, well, that's life. But two? That wouldn't be good, would it? No, sir. And Paul? Yes, sir. Don't be scared to get a little rough, if you have to. We only promised Kuiper a certain number of units. Anything extra is a gift. That seemed to be the end of the conversation, and the face on the screen faded away. Though Tommy wouldn't have known. He'd quickly tired of the adult-speak, and set off to look for the nearest staircase that could lead him down. Now about mid-level between the top catwalk and the bottom, details of the facility's ground floor became more clear. It was a harsh plain of painted concrete, a dull yellow cream color, almost that of eggnog, from which huge shelving units rose, monumental shelves the likes of which Tommy had never seen, each nearly the size of a tall building on their own, shelves that were abundant with all goods known to humankind, household goods, tools, apparel and electronics, industrial wares over in one large section, and even weapons and other military supplies in another. And, oh my, toys. Toys that might have been some hopeful indicator that this was indeed the working place of old Saint Nick, if you considered them alone, and if a good portion of them weren't currently on the floor in a burning pile. Yes, now that Tommy had come further down, it was not just the ground level that had become more clear, but also the situation, the issue, down there as well. All around the facility floor, there were many small fires burning, and the suffocating chemical smell of burning plastic now wafted up into the air. And from where Tommy could see, the largest of these fires was in the section where it seemed they kept the toys. So many of them. Melting, charring, or crisping up into ash. Spaceman Johnnies and Ragdoll Sue's. Grav balls, polyhedral puzzle blocks, and maglift train sets, even brain linked sketch hatchers and heavens forbear. Megahorse plushies, which is not to say mega-sized plushies, but rather plushies of the newly-bred megahorse developed by geneticists a few years prior. It was truly terrible to behold. And all around this consumerist pyre, vague figures stood in assembly. Dismayed, Tommy began searching for a way down, so he could discover what lay at the heart of this catastrophe. And at the same time, unnoticed and unnoticing of the peril around them, more of those flying machines flitted about the shelves in sections, retrieving various items, ones that weren't on fire, and spiriting them off to be packaged and delivered. Tommy was closer now, close enough that he could see that these vague figures were more of the tall elves he had now encountered twice. Different from the other two, but similar to each other, Though they came in all shapes, colors, and sizes, these elves—people, you might even call them— all wore the same drab uniforms, a two-piece work set the same dusty beige as the floor, though each mottled uniquely with grime, sweat, and human filth. Each was rough-handed and pale for their complexion, as though the sun had never once touched their faces or the backs of their necks. Each, like that strange mechanic working so high up above them, slouched in a way that wordlessly conveyed a history of fear and despair. Though in this moment, the despair on those faces was masked, masked behind a mesh screen of rage. Whatever violence and havoc had been raging earlier, for the moment things had come down to a simmer. The elves watched and listened, as one of their own spoke from a pile of cardboard boxes, standing tall and speaking of what was fair and right saying that they wouldn't go, that they wouldn't be discarded. This was met mostly with silent approval and the occasional furied whoop. With perhaps a year or two's more development of the brain and moral soul, Tommy might have felt a pang of sympathy in his gut. But instead, being five and only having lived his certain kind of life, his only distress was for the burning gifts below him. He climbed down toward the floor... And he did not descend alone at the same time from on high someone else approached the gathering it was the man from the bubble office only he did not come down the stairs but descended atop another of those flying machines not one with arms and a red eye but more like a disc with a flat top for him to stand firmly upon its propulsion systems buzzed and hummed gently as they came to a slow And once he had come to a close but safe distance, he spoke. I really hoped I wouldn't have to come down here. You're doing your people a disservice with this spectacle, Rye. I understand your fears and frustrations. Truly, I do. At this, the crowd booed and hissed, cutting him off. Trying to recompose himself, he continued. But? Mr. Darby has obligations to his own business interests and to those he has made arrangements with. So one way or another, you will all be getting on those shuttles tonight. The elf, standing atop the pile, Rye, presumably, motioned for silence from their peers. "'What about his obligations to us?' yells of assent from the crowd. "'I've lived in this place my entire life. My whole family has for generations. All of our families.' "'Yes, Rai, that's true. "'But times have changed. "'There are now machines to do your work.' "'He gestured up and around himself. "'We've had the drones for years. "'You all had to know this was coming.' "'The lead elf was now struggling to maintain their composure. "'Tommy, meanwhile, had finally made it all the way down "'and was now standing among them. "'Their anger was palpable, "'nearly as hot as the nearby fires.' All around him, teeth gritted, and white-knuckled hands tightened around tools and makeshift bludgeons. One of the tall elves, standing right beside Tommy, was visibly shaking, trembling with rage as he held the rifle grip of a weapon half-concealed in his shirt. It let out a soft blue glow from under the dirty fabric. We've met every quota, every unit-per-minute demand, every brutal holiday deadline, this last one worst of all. And now, now you're just going to ship us off as well, out to one of those hellhole mines in the belt. (laughs) well, said the man above. His face was now downcast and his head softly shaking. He looked like a man who wanted to go home to his warm bed and have hot turkey the next day. But he'd try one more tactic before switching to methods that he'd rather not resort to. I'm sorry, but if you wanted to stay, you should have retrained for mechanics and repairs like your colleagues up above. But think about it. You'll still be working. You can still be grateful for that dignity. If Mr. Darby had had his way in this, you'd have all been hooked up with neural slavers for your long trip and new lives. Or worse, you'd have all been mulched to try and recoup costs. A long, silent moment passed before at last he finished his thought. But it's the holidays, so who'd want that on their conscience? It was the trembling man standing beside Tommy who reacted first, before Rye had the chance to respond. It's hard to say whether hearing the word Holidays had set him off, or if there had been a moment's delay in reacting to the words before it. But with a scream, he pulled out the energy rifle he'd been half hiding and the weapon roared as a kinetic pulse ionized the air around it, hot and blue. After that, many things happened all at once. People around the shooter cried with shock and horror. Rye reached out in a futile attempt to halt a shot that had already been fired. Mr. Harvey sighed like a person who had done all they could, and Tommy watched it all understanding the gravity of none of it. Before the surely fatal blast could reach the middle manager, it hit some unseen barrier, and with a white flash the energy scattered and dissipated, leaving him unharmed. He didn't wait long before piercing the shocked silence. The hard way, then, Mr. Harvey tisked, shaking his head. And on Christmas, too. He reached up to the left lapel of his jacket, activating some kind of communication device. The exchange with whomever was on the other end of the communique was brief. Suppression protocol 6B. We'll test out the new drones. You and your team can clean up after. Above Mr. Harvey and his disc, above Rye and the other elves, above the fires and the shelves, high above them all, where Tommy had first entered, The workshop. Something happened. In that vast, dimly lit hall, filled with dark metal columns where sleeping machines sat still, red lights began to dot the place like ornaments, the red light of hundreds of awakened machine eyes as they unlatched themselves from their stations. And at a desk in the center of this hall, a man in a welder's mask put his tools and his head down on his desk, and wept. Back below, pandemonium unfolded. The crowd, having some sense of the danger to come, scattered. Rye was trying in vain to maintain some order, trying to keep them together to face what was coming. Mr. Harvey flew off on his disc, disappointed, but confident that he had saved Christmas. Tommy was stumbling through the crowd, stumbling as he had all night. His trip hadn't been very productive. In fact, it was starting to become downright unpleasant for him, and he hoped that he could get home soon. As he was distracted by these thoughts, a young woman in one of those drab uniforms noticed him, stopped, and reached down and grabbed him by the shoulders. She told him she was going to get him out of here, then scooped him up in her arms. Finally, some help. The drones were descending now. Those robotic arms so suited to plucking purchasable goods off of high shelves and then tenderly placing them under trees, seemed equally suited to disarming and detaining the rioting elves, holding them still while other drones fitted them with curious little devices. A headnet, of sorts, that stretched holly-green wires over the pate and had sleigh-bell silver nodes at each temple. Each time an elf was fitted with one of these devices, it would fall to the floor in a spasm, seeming to have lost all self-governing function, and after that the pair of drones would then move on to find another non-compliant to fit. The shaking man with the rifle was, for his part, trying his best, shooting down flying drones left and right. The chaos, though, and the screaming energy weapon prevented him from hearing the deep thud that now rumbled to the floor. The deep thud of... Something else, approaching, that was now outlined in the thick smoke. Something Tommy and his savior did not see as they ran away, but only heard behind them with a thud, thud, scream, splat. The same kind of something, presumably, that was waiting for them as they turned a corner and now faced them. Another drone, a new drone, but different bigger. This one did not fly, but seemed to ambulate on four sprawling limbs. Dozens of smaller, more specific, and wicked-looking appendages lined its underside. It was postured, low, motive limbs bent like a cat ready to pounce, but even in this low stance it stood twenty meters tall. You could easily imagine it striding among the shelves, handling shipments and pushing huge industrial bins full of buyers' goods, all without tiring and without complaint. A miraculous thing, progress. And like its smaller cousins, this machine had a glaring red eye at the center of its front facing, an eye that Tommy and the young woman were now staring into, and that stared back at them And for the first time for the woman, and for the second time for Tommy that evening, a vertical line of red light came from that eye and swept across them, then swept across them once more for good measure, giving no response for him, and giving a surprisingly gentle beep for her. It's hard to tell what the machine intended to do when it reached out a half-second later, It's possible that it was trying to take hold of her and fit her with one of those neural devices, and that it simply wasn't properly calibrated for such a task. But intentions aside, what actually happened was that one of its arms, ending in three interlocking talons, shot forward with such force that it obliterated her torso. By some chance, or perhaps by no chance at all, Tommy escaped any such damage, his only harm being a short drop to the floor, still swaddled in the woman's now severed arms like Christ-born. He lay there, processing and trying to sit up, as the machine strode over him, off to carry on with its task. It was about ten minutes later that he was found by two security guards clad in black Kevlar and faceless visors as their compatriots shepherded the surviving, silent, now docile workers, Rye included, out to the shuttle bay. Seeing the fine silk of his blood-stained pajamas, the quality of his coat, and his ruddy, healthy face, they immediately knew Tommy for what he was. The guards profusely apologized to Tommy for the circumstances and brought him to Mr. Harvey's office where he was given all treatment properly afforded to a natural-born citizen of the planet, one so affluent as to reside on Earth's own surface. And soon after, as one of the guards was paraded into the office wearing a Santa suit, hastily unwrapped and assembled from those present on site, Tommy's surface trauma began to fade away. The violence, the injudiciousness, the possible lessons learned. His memories of that night as he recalled them in later years, became vague ones of a nighttime journey to the North Pole, the workshop, and a few naughty elves who tried to spoil Christmas. This week's episode, The Workshop, was written and performed by Anthony Botello, The Wrong Station is made possible with the generous support of our listeners on Patreon. Thank you to our new patron, John Proctor1212, and a very special thanks to Paul Harvey and Rye for helping us keep the lights, well, off. You can also support us by leaving a rating and review on iTunes, or wherever it is you listen to The Wrong Station. The Wrong Station is co produced by Alexander Saxton, Anthony Botello, and Jacob Duarte Spiel with music composed and performed on the piano by Alan Citrin, and arranged for the viola and performed by Viola Schmidt. You can follow The Wrong Station on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram, and email us at therongstation at gmail.com. And until next time, happy holidays, a happy new year, and thank you for listening.